is a nationally recognized expert on cybersecurity, privacy, identity theft, fraud, and personal finance. A highly sought-after speaker who has distinguished himself as a fierce consumer advocate for the past 40 years. Adam Levin is the chairman and founder of CyberScout and co-founder of Credit.com. He is the author of the critically acclaimed book Swiped and the former director of the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs. His mission is to educate consumers, businesses, law enforcement officials, and lawmakers on identity management, protection, privacy, credit, and election security issues. He has appeared on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS, CNBC, and more. He's also a regular commentator for the New York Times, Associated Press, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today. Meet the leaders shaping the new era of credit. This is the Vantage Core Podcast. Today, we talk to Adam Levin, founder of CyberScout and Credit.com. Part two. Now, unfortunately, we're now what we call cyber peak, which is where the hackers and scammers have become so good at creating these fake sites that even some of the people involved with the institutions that these sites have cloned can't even tell that it's a fake site. So you have to look at the at the URL. You know, in the old days, you'd say, okay, well, as long as it has HTTPS and a lock, that means it's the real site, and that's fine. But we've seen that, that hackers have been able to actually get fake security certificates or short-term certificates where they're, they're using HTTPS and a lock, except it's a clone site. So, you know, we're up against a formidable enemy. I mean, they are weaponized. They are aggressive, they are sophisticated, they are creative, they are persistent. I would say when it comes to offensive cybersecurity operations, that's where we're actually hacking others. We're really good at that. We are the best of the best. In terms of our defensive cybersecurity posture, uh, we have a long way to go. In fact, there are very few countries, Israel being one of those countries that actually is renowned for their both offensive and defensive capabilities. But in this country for too long, uh, you, you've had too many businesses and people think, that's never going to happen to me. And I try to say to people, you know, when you look in the mirror, you see you. But when a hacker's looking at you, they see Kim Kardashian because you got what they want. You have data, you have financial information, you have connections, or you're the tributary to a larger river, which means it's really not you. It could be your spouse. It could be your parent. It could be the people you work for. It could be the nonprofit organization that you're affiliated with. And they want to use you as the conduit to get into that. And the perfect example, the iconic example of that is Target. Target wasn't hacked directly. An HVAC subcontractor that ran the chilling units for Target that needed access to their systems in order to make these devices work more efficiently, they were hacked. And that pathway into Target is what the hackers used. So many people are social engineered into making a mistake, clicking on the wrong link. This whole concept of fear of missing out is that the fear of missing out, you know, the old curiosity killed the cat. Well, fear of missing out can, can make you uh, a hacking or identity theft victim misinformation, disinformation, deepfakes. Uh, there are deepfake videos where folks can be, it, it makes it look like somebody with whom you're familiar is saying something that will rile you up. 
but it may not be them that actually made the statement. It may be somebody that took that video and altered it and had them saying something else. Uh, we're now having deep fake audio. There's been a few cases now where people received a phone call from someone they thought was their manager or someone they were doing business with that gave them wiring instructions. They followed those wiring instructions and it ended up being, it ended up sending money to the thieves. And if you don't think that now, this isn't deep fake audio, but if you don't think the whole concept of wire transfer fraud can't occur based on what they call business email compromise, where someone gets into an email system, sends emails, or has the capacity to actually change the content of an email as it's in transit. Uh, two of the largest tech companies in the world combined wired over $100 million to the wrong company. Because they were two of the largest tech companies in the world, they got the money back. But other companies that didn't have the power of these unnamed tech companies didn't get their money back. Being able to figure out who done it. Oftentimes, the folks who done it happened to be beyond the jurisdiction of the United States and in some cases protected uh, by countries against us. You get your credit reports and then you don't just say, hey, I got my credit report. You read them. You make sure you understand them. And if you see something that doesn't look right, you say something. You monitor your credit scores because if your credit score takes a sudden, precipitous, unexplained drop, it could be due to one of Basically, three reasons. You didn't pay a bill on time, not good. You're using too much of your available credit, not so good. Or you're a victim of identity theft, worst case. So therefore, you have to be sensitive to your credit scores. Critical to do that. You need to sign up for what's called transactional alerts. You get them from your credit card companies, your financial institutions, even third-party vendors make them available now relative to different accounts you may have, that notify you anytime there's activity in your account. And the reason is, uh, your bank account or your credit account, and the reason is that millions of credit and debit cards are being sold on the dark web on a daily basis by zip code as part of, it's like a bazaar. You, you can buy by credit limit, by type, by rewards points, uh, by type of things that are rewarded with points. Uh, and by zip code. And the real reason why it's zip code is because bank tracking systems are looking for out-of-pattern spending, out-of-pattern charging, out-of-zone charging and spending. So to a bank, they may miss it because it looks like that's where you normally live or shop or work. But to you, you're going to look at it and go, wait a minute, there's just something not right about this. So transaction alerts, they're free. Explanation of benefit statements coming from your health insurer. We had a case with a woman who looked at her explanation of benefit statement and realized that on the same day, this was a 72-year-old grandmother, on the same day, on opposite sides of the country, she was charged by two laboratories for a sperm viability test and a pregnancy test. Not realistic for somebody who's 72, but an example of she uncovered the fact that someone had stolen her identity. Also, getting more sophisticated forms of monitoring, not just credit monitoring, but credit and identity monitoring, dark web monitoring. They have a, a variety of different monitoring tools. Some of them even offer social media monitoring. A lot of people don't realize through their insurance company, some financial institutions, probably credit 
unions more than banks um, and employers through voluntary and employer paid benefits programs, there are programs available to help consumers through identity incidents. And it may be free as a perk of your relationship with the institution. It may be deeply discounted, especially if monitoring products and services are involved. You should definitely have a VPN. You know, think of a VPN as an encrypted tunnel. That still doesn't mean you're a thousand percent secure because if someone found a way through malware, through clicking on a link to put something on your mobile device, the fact that you may be using an encrypted tunnel may not be helping you, it may be helping in transit, but it's not going to help you when it lands. So that's why mobile cyber hygiene is absolutely critical. VPNs also make it difficult for someone to figure out who you are and, you know, where you're operating from. Uh, but, you know, there are some people that also put warning flags out saying, just remember, the VPN folks are collecting data. Now, the overwhelming majority of them say that under no circumstances would they sell your data. And of course, now under the California Consumer Protection Act, it's going to make it even harder and harder for them to do it without notifying you. But, you know, we've seen instances with companies that say we will never sell your data, but then the company goes bankrupt. And what's the first thing that's up for sale in the bankruptcy sale? The data. So that's why people always have to be very mindful of what's out there, what they provide. Just like, you know, everyone says your social security number is the skeleton key to your life. It is. However, think about the fact, and it's impossible to change it. Right? But also think about the fact that more people actually have cell phone numbers that are out there. And what's the universal identifier? What's the first thing anyone asks you? What's your cell phone number? Right? So as a result, your cell phone number is, in a certain respect, becoming the equivalent of your social security number. And in most cases, so is your email. Because how many people really change their email address? You hardly do. And now think about the fact how many people use their email address as their user ID on websites. So now if you use that on a significant number of websites, and many of them basically say you have to. I know financial institutions now take the position, no, if you want to change your user ID, you can. And other sites are kind of getting with that. But then make sure your user ID isn't something that identifies you anyway. So be careful on that. And then if you combine that with a password that you tend to use all over the place, you're a sitting duck. If you want to really think about the environment we're living in, there are two constants that we now have to understand, and this is why we are all vulnerable, is that breaches have become the third certainty in life behind death and taxes, and that cyber war has replaced the Cold War, and that people discount uh, the ramifications of cyber war. Cyber war can be deadly. Cyber war can bring down a country. We've seen it with certain Eastern European countries that were literally knocked offline by uh, Russia, as an example. We've seen situations where power grids can go down. And as a result of that, lights don't go on, water doesn't run, you go to your ATM machine and no money comes out because everything is dead. So we have to take it really seriously. I mean, can someone shut down our entire power grid in one shot? Probably not. But 
when you think about the fact that we are all under assault and now we have a number of hostile powers and one in particular that's really hostile to us of late, we have to take this seriously. We have to do all the things we can to follow the three M's, as well as the fact that, for example, you know, someone asked me recently, what, what would be your financial emergency kit? I mean, if everything went down, what would you do? And the issue is there's two, two aspects of this. One is the digital aspect. One is the physical aspect. The physical aspect is you have to have copies of every important document in your life, as well as medical histories, prescriptions, allergies, all of that. Deeds, insurance cards, know what all your different coverages are, know where your financial information is, copies of your most recent bank statements. I mean, everyone's going digital now, but what you do is print it. Just put it in someplace safe, along with things like flashlights, food, water, and things like that. Uh, on the digital side, scan and download images of all of your identification information and all the things that we, we just talked about, driver's license, social security card, which you should never carry with you, along with specific identifying documents. Download it in an encrypted thumb drive and just never forget the fact. There's only two things you have to remember at that point. Where did I put it? And what's my password for it? Because if you forget your password for you know some of these encrypted thumb drives, it is as if you're recreating the earth in order to be able to get back into that, uh, into that drive. Just because someone is sending you something by wire to Western Union doesn't mean the Western Union is going to believe you're you or the American embassy is going to believe you're you. So therefore, you have to have some independent way of authenticating yourself. I think that uh, people who think everything's fine, uh, they're living in a fantasy land. We've already seen examples of disinformation campaigns. Uh, we've seen where uh, uh, different uh, counties, uh, cities, uh, states have been subjected to uh, vicious cyber attacks. Um, when you think of an election, there are points of vulnerability all through that. When you register to vote, that voter registration database, unless it's completely protected, uh, could be susceptible to being hacked. And if it's hacked, names could change, streets could change, people could be deleted, party affiliations could change. Um, as a result of what's on that registration list, notification of where you go vote, could go to the wrong place. When you show up to vote, if they're using an e-poll books, which is the equivalent of the electronic voter registration book that so many jurisdictions have been using for years, but the electronic version of that, what if that information isn't correct? What if there's a denial of service attack on that particular jurisdiction and the e-poll books, the servers go down and they're down for hours? That could impact turnout then when you vote, election machines are not completely 1,000% hack-proof. And it's been proven that a $30 component can be plugged into a USB port in the back of many different election machines and could impact the votes. When the votes are aggregated, 
oftentimes they go back to the manufacturer of the voting machine where they are totaled and then they are forwarded on to state election officials. They claim it's a closed system. It's not necessarily a closed system in every case. We've seen where election machine companies have put back doors in so they could do remote maintenance on some of their machines. We've seen statements going, oh, no, 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 no voting machine is, is connected to the internet. And yet in a recent study in 11 different states, they found voting machines in one precinct or another that had been running constantly on the internet for years. So you have that. When the results go to the Secretary of State's website for posting, if something happens to that website, if it goes down, if someone hacks into the website and possibly changes the results, ultimately it could get figured out, but it could take time. That's why they, you know, now everyone's stressing two big things. One, voter hand-marked ballots that are paper, that are then scanned by an optical scanner, and then you have what's called risk-limiting audits after the election, which is a little too complicated to explain now, but it's all part of the process. So there are a variety of vulnerabilities. So as much as people would like to say, we're good, there is not one human being in all honesty who has any grasp on reality, who can look you in the eye and say to an absolute certainty, we are safe in this particular issue. And remember one other thing, you don't need to hack a whole country. If you think about it now, elections are decided by battleground states. Anyone could attack a voter registration system or a voting machine or the way that votes are transmitted in any one of a variety of counties in these battleground states. And all you need is one or two counties where discrepancies are found and they find evidence of hacking where you could throw an election into doubt. The whole concept of democracy is not that the winner accepts the results. The winner is always happy to accept the results as long as they win. You need the loser and the supporters of the person who didn't win the election to accept those results. And if there is doubt and it is justifiable doubt based on hacking, you could have a real problem on your hands. But with the advances that we're making and the technological evolution that we're witnessing, I think ultimately we're going to be fine. But it's shared responsibility. Government's not going to do it all for us. Business certainly hasn't done it for us. So we have responsibility as consumers that we have to, to some degree, protect ourselves. And it's not the Herculean task where you just give up all hope and burn off your fingerprints and unplug every device and hide under your mattress and pray that one day the sun will come out again. You know, I think we're in a position that we will be able to take control of our lives, that the good guys are going to prevail. But understand the fact that the way you prevail is cooperation, collaboration, communication, education, people being alert, and people understanding the fact that in our lives, we have three, at least three portfolios. If you say the word portfolio, the Pavlovian response is investments. The truth of the matter is, though, we have a credit portfolio, we have an identity portfolio. Just as we would hope that someone would professionally manage our finances, although some of us are pretty good at it and we like to do it, 
We need to be the professional managers of our credit and our identity. If anything goes wrong in any one of the three, it could impact the others. If your credit isn't good, it could limit your ability to make investments, and it could require you to draw on whatever investments you have in order to live the life you want to live. If your investments go down, you may need to use your credit to start a business. Even though employers can't use credit scores, there are employers, depending upon what job you want to do, that still take a look at your credit report. Even though there are efforts more and more in different jurisdictions to eliminate that unless it's very specific to the job. So you may have to rely on your credit more. If your identity's stolen, it will obviously impact your credit. And based on that, you may need more of your investment dollars, or you may, as a result of that identity theft, give thieves access into your investment accounts, which, by the way, don't have the same kinds of protections that bank accounts do to a certain degree, and credit and more and more debit cards are getting in terms of zero liability. So it's, it's all about we have to be good stewards of our finances. We have to be good stewards of our credit, that no one has a greater interest in our economic security than we do. And no one really knows what we're doing, even if some of us don't always know what we're doing. But no one has a better knowledge of that than we do. So it's incumbent upon us to learn, to be vigilant, and to teach our kids. Learning is good. Vigilance is good. And don't be afraid of credit. Don't be afraid of your finances. Learn about it. Master it. This podcast is brought to you by Vantage Core Solutions, a higher level of confidence. Thanks for listening.